0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 14, and at home or wherever you're watching, unless you're driving, I want you to stand with us right now for the reading of God's Word. We will still want to have great respect for God's Word as we're having congregational preaching right now, and I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah chapter 14, and the verses of Scripture we'll be in will be verses 12 to 16. While you're doing that, I'd also like to ask that you turn to Ezekiel chapter 28, in Ezekiel 28, I think somewhere around verse, verse 11 or so, we'll be looking at those verses as well this morning. For those of you who perhaps are, have not attended our morning services, I've been on a series since the first Sunday of January in the book of Isaiah, and our theme is Behold Your God. And we've just had a wonderful time of studying through the book of Isaiah, and it just keeps getting better and better and better, because when you read God's Word, it just gets better and better and better. And so this morning, we're seeing a very timely message again to help encourage us in our walk with God. God. Isaiah chapter 12, and if you're at home reading, I like you to read out loud with your family members or read out loud by yourself as we read the scriptures. Follow me as I read the scriptures this morning. Isaiah chapter 14, starting with verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne unto the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake the kingdoms? Which you notice in verse 12, the Bible gives us the beginning of a nefarious character, one who is known as the wicked one whose name that was given to him at his beginning, Lucifer. And next to that, the Bible calls him the son of the morning. We're going to answer some questions this morning and see what is behind what's really going on. In my prayer this morning, there would be a God-fearing people Informed, stirred, and ready to do something for God. Father, this morning we pray once again that you bless the precious Word of God. Thank you that your Word is pure, enlightening the eyes. We thank you your Word gives us wisdom. We pray that you'd fill us richly with the Word of Christ, with all wisdom. We pray this morning for your word, which is a sharp two-edged sword, to pierce asunder, to divide, to cut, to dissect, because it's alive and it's powerful. And yet the Bible says sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's a and divides asunder the soul and spirit, the joints and marrows. May the Holy Spirit of God have great liberty in giving us conviction Speaking to our hearts, encouraging us in the Lord, pricking our consciences, and bringing the people of God closer to you once again. You said in your word, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that I may exalt you in due time. And this morning, we humble ourselves to you. Would you bless the live stream audience, the people watching from afar? This morning, give us a service whereby God, even though people are not physically here, the Spirit of God would come down and do a great work in our soul. God, be glorified. God, even save souls through Livestream. God, send a great holy revival through Livestream, we pray. And we'll thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We ended our study last week from Isaiah chapter 12. In Isaiah chapter 12, a very encouraging chapter, we spent some time in verse 2 where Isaiah, after seeing a marvelous revelation of God, gave a proclamation, a testimony of the things that he'd seen. And you know, that's what God wants to do in your heart and mind. He wants us to give a proclamation and a testimony of what he's done in our hearts. And Isaiah said this, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. He said, For the Lord Jehovah is my strength, And my song. And he also has become my salvation. Now I realize as the news. Continues to come out. And the reports of. The confirmed cases. And the incredible number of. Cases being added to COVID-19. And more restrictions. And more sheltered places by states. And other countries as well as ours. Restricting foreign travel. And a number of these things like that. We cannot help. And listen and hear the news without being touched a little bit there with concern and in some cases with fear In the midst of all this we I want to caution that we should be concerned and we should be cautious and we should heed the advice of our medical professionals and we need to be careful and by the way we need to pray for our first responders and our government officials. And we need to pray for our healthcare professionals. And you pray for our church. We've got perhaps as many as 35 to 45 healthcare professionals, people that work in the healthcare industry that are exposed to these things. You pray for God's protection. You pray for God to cover us. But in the midst of all this, we need to say, I will trust and not be afraid because God is alive. And notice in verse 6, we End chapter 12 with a great encouraging statement about our God. I love what it says in chapter, chapter 12, verse 6. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. That's a wonderful promise and reminder to us. God is great. God is not smaller. God is great. God is not diminished. God is great. God is not changed. God is great. God is not weak. God is great. And notice something else. He is holy. In the midst of all this, we need to grasp and seize upon the holiness of God and recognize how unholy we are and to have a testimony like Isaiah when we see God's holiness and sense it that we say, Woe is me, for I am a man undone with unclean lips. And then notice he said, For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. And thank God this morning, through his holiness and through his greatness, he's right in the midst with us. Notice in our passage this morning, we're studying from both chapter 13 and 14, and I'm going to give you a review to get right back into what we read. In chapter 13, we read the start of what is called in chapter 13, verse 1, the burden of Babylon. Now, starting in chapter 13, you'll read from there to about chapter 21 or 22 of Isaiah, we find God's judgment upon the nations. Now, it's so important that we stay right with this series here from Isaiah and as we preach in Revelation, because we need to understand that God has a judgment upon the nations. When you read Matthew chapter 25, he separates the nations into two categories. He calls them goat nations, and he calls them sheep nations. The goat nations are the nations who are adversarial to the nation of Israel. The sheep nations are those nations which turned to God and were friendly and, uh, and, were, and made an alliance and were helpful to Israel. And we see here in verse chapter 13 to 21... These nations here, God's judging upon them. Now, bear in mind as we look at this, we see this. He starts up by seeing the burden of Babylon. He talks about a judgment upon Babylon. We're going to see some things about Babylon, and I want you to park on that for a minute. But in chapter 13, and coinciding with this judgment upon Babylon, which is found in chapter 13 and 14, we find reference here to a future date and time that is also used to speak about the judgment of God. And I want you to scroll down with me to verse 6, chapter 13, verse 6, for just a moment. Because he speaks about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. He said in verse 6, How old ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. He said in verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Now, so for those of you unfamiliar to Bible prophecy, you'll learn a lot of prophecy if you'll stay with us during this series. But the day of the Lord encompasses a period of time beginning when the believers, those who are believers in Jesus Christ, like myself and those who are saved, after we are raptured, after we are taken out of this world, we call that rapture the blessed hope. We, that, at that point in time, that everyone that's left behind in the world, everyone who's unsaved, everyone who doesn't know Christ as a Savior, they'll be left behind to go through a period called the Great Tribulation. A time of great wrath. And we get kind of a glimpse of that here in chapter 13. And then during that great tribulation, that will be culminated by the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Followed by which Jesus will place his feet in Jerusalem, on that great mountain. And he'll establish his kingdom here on earth. And there will be 1,000 years of unprecedented peace and wonderfulness and tranquility, and wonderful things. We saw a glimpse of that last week, and we'll see more of that when we get a little bit further into our study. And following the millennium, they will find that there will be what's called the Great White Throne Judgment, where every unbeliever will come up out of the grave, out of hell, and they'll be brought before the very presence of our Savior. And He will judge them in righteousness and show them that their unbelief will send them all to a very terrible place called the Lake of Fire. As that happens, right before that happens, we find that a nefarious character by the name of Satan also is cast at Lake of Fire. will say more about that a little bit later on. But this day of the Lord encompasses a broad period of time. And I want you to notice that as we look at verse 6 and read a few verses, or down to at least verse 11 or 12, that the day of the Lord being referenced here, we find everything describing what will go- occur during the Great Tribulation. For instance, in verse 6, he says the day of the Lord is at hand. And in verse 9, the day of the Lord cometh. It's coming. It's coming. We read about that in First Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 7, he speaks about how this day of the Lord will affect everyone that's left on planet earth. He said in verse 7, All hands will be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. In fact, in verse 8, he describes it, they'll be so afraid, there'll be such fear. The pangs and sorrows will grip every man as a woman going through travail. If you can imagine that. If you can imagine that every man, woman, and child will be gripped with great fear. Now, if you're fearful right now of COVID-19, we haven't seen anything yet. Just imagine with me the description here. That every man will grab his loins as a woman in travail. In verse 8, He describes, uh, in verse 9 he describes, if you would, the the, the judgment of God, the day of the Lord as being cruel with wrath and fierce anger, laying the land desolate. He describes in verse 9 that he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. It will be a time of great death and destruction. Perhaps over one-third of the world's population, as we read the book of Revelation, one-third of the world's population will die through pestilence and war, disease, and many other things there. And then verse 12, verse 10, he describes the Darkness, the literal darkness of the time, that the stars of the heaven and the constellation will not give their light. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth, and the moon shall not cause your light to shine. If you can imagine that, the entire galaxy will grow dark to reflect the darkness of the time. He says in verse 11, notices, I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their arrogance. And he says, I will cause the arrogance of the proud to seize and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. So in chapter 13, we find a narrative here, a description God gives us here about the great day of wrath of the Lord. And it helps us to understand God's judgment upon the nations. Because as we read this, we realize now we get into this section of scripture that describes the judgment of the nations. Now notice the very first nation that's mentioned in all this, is the nation of Babylon. Look again at chapter 13, verse 1. He says, The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, did see. Now I want to understand today that God's first judgment will be upon Babylon. Now Babylon, as we read this, Babylon figures very prominently in Scripture, beginning with Genesis chapter 10, verse 10, all the way through Revelation 18. Babylon first gained its, its notoriety, if you would, During the Babylonian invasion, during the Babylonian captivity, Babylon is mentioned as, as one of the four great world powers in the Bible. And Babylon, if you would, conquered much of the world. And the great king they had at that time was Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Babylon was used as an instrument of judgment against Israel and and against mainly Judah, if you would. And it was Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar who led the charge against Jerusalem. We read about this in the book of Jeremiah and over in 2 Chronicles where they broke down the gates and where they burned down the temple and they burned down many of the buildings. And people were taken captive and the poor were left to take care of the land. We read about that. And they oppressed Israel very badly. But because Babylon went way beyond What God wanted them to, what God was going to use them for, to bring His people to their senses. But God had to judge Babylon. You'll notice if we scroll down a little bit later, in chapter thirteen, verse nineteen, He speaks about God's judgment on Babylon. It's a future judgment. Now bear in mind, as Isaiah is writing this, Babylon, it's its its just kind of, it's just, it's there, but it's really not a great kingdom. The great kingdom at that time were the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were the forerunners of the Babylonians, and the Assyrians were the one that was just conquering nations, but Babylon would arise and eventually conquer Assyria, and the Bible speaks about Babylon's fall in verse 19, and Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, excellency shall be as when God... Overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we know historically that Babylon's fall and defeat happened in 539 BC by King Darius of the Medes. And we read about that actually in Daniel chapter 5, when Nebuchadnezzar's great-grandson, if you would, was put, was put Belshazzar, was put to death, and the Medes took over there. Now Babylon, we see was a literal, literal. Kingdom was a literal government. It was a kingdom that conquered. But as we read our Bible, we also read that, see that Babylon, especially we get to Revelation, Babylon is a description to the entire world system. A world system that is controlling, a world system that incorporates governmental, financial, and spiritual domination over the world. And I'm excited when we get the book of Revelation, we'll see more of that. But Babylon is used to describe that whole, that whole mindset there and what's going on with that. And Babylon, if you want, is a leading, leading to a, a, the conquering of nations and a one world government. And we'll say more about that. But as we look at that here, we get to chapter 14. And it's not just the nation of Babylon that, is, that God is speaking about. Notice in chapter 14, verse 4. He speaks about the king of Babylon. That thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor seized, the golden city seized, the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. God has a judgment on the nations. God has a judgment upon the king of those nations. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is all this happening? What's going on behind all this? Have you ever asked the question, what is behind and who is behind regimes like China, Indonesia, North Korea, Iran, the North African nations, the nations of the Middle East, the United States of America for that matter, Middle Eastern countries, dictatorships that are heavy-handed in their rule. Have you ever asked the question, what's really behind all this? Have you ever asked the question, who energizes these people? Where do they get their ideas from? How are they, excuse the phrase, are so hell-bent? Are killing people? Genocides? Withholding goods? Starving their people? Brainwashing them? The Bibles we'll see, has an answer about that. Because notice in chapter 14, this king of Babylon is not just talking about Nebuchadnezzar, who was a great world leader. And it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom per se that was destroyed by God. It was his great-grandson, Belshazzar's kingdom, that was destroyed and taken over. But more than Nebuchadnezzar, more than the kings of Babylon... The king of Babylon here is in reference to a spiritual character. The one in the background. The one who undermines all the things of God. The one who's the energization and personalization. Working behind wickedness in different places. And the Bible describes that to us in in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Because what I want to understand, especially for those of you who are not familiar with the Bible... What is happening in our world, even right now, is not fate. And what is happening in our world right now is not bad luck. What is happening in our world right now is a spiritual agenda by the God of this world. And I want you to understand as we read Ephesians chapter 6, if you'll turn there please. Ephesians 6 verse 12. The Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. My friend, this morning, we're not in a physical battle with flesh and blood. We're in a battle that's spiritual. And the Bible describes these hierarchies of evil, these hierarchies of wickedness. This is not a fable. This is not a story. This is not out of somebody made up and that conjectured out of their mind. This is the Word of God. And the Bible says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers, listen to that, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see this morning, this power, the overruling authority of these principalities, they ruler over the rulers of darkness, the wicked one over spiritual wickedness is none other than Satan himself. Is none other than Satan himself, who we see here manifested in Isaiah chapter 14 as Lucifer. Who is Satan? Do you know who Satan is? Do you know the different names the Bible uses to describe Satan? What does he have to do with this world? Is this world just spinning in its axis without any intervention by Satan in this world? Uh, Should you be concerned about Satan? Where is he now? What will happen to him? We're going to answer all those questions this morning as we look at this man, this, this 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 person who's called the son of the morning. Number one, if you're with the outline, would you notice first of all, we have the description of Satan. We have the description of Satan. Now you have your finger there in Isaiah chapter 14. And I'd like you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 28 because we're going to look at both of these passages side by side in the beginning of this message so you can understand where we're going. Go with me to Ezekiel 28 verse 13. And as you turn there, would you say, And amen as a message across that you're there, so we know that you're watching. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13. And notice what he says there. We have a description about Satan here. Number one, which you notice, he was created. I want you to understand something this morning. Satan is a created being. I want you to understand this morning as we look at the scriptures, we look at the beginning and we look at the being of this man, this, this person called Lucifer. He was created. We find this recorded here in Ezekiel 28, Would you notice, verse 13. Thou has been in Eden, the garden of God. And that's not talking about the physical Eden. This, this, it's a description of heaven itself. And he's describing here, he says he's describing the covering of Satan here. He says, Thou has been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, topaz, and the diamond, and the beryl, and the onyx, and the jasper the sapphire, the emerald, the carbonical, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day. Notice that thou was created. Verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth I have set thee also so thou was upon the holy mountain of God and thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. The reference to the stones of fire means all of this wonderful jewelry and the sparkling that he had. He walked in the midst of all of those wonderful jewels and beautiful things in the presence of God. Verse 15, thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. We must understand something this morning. Satan or Lucifer, is not God, capital G. He is not God. He was created by God. He was created by God for the glory of God. The Bible says in verse 14 here that he was called the anointed cherub. Cherubim surround and cover the throne of God and surround, if you would, the Holy of Holies back back in the day of the tabernacle. Back in the days of the ark. And you have to understand that he was considered the canopy or the cherub that was the canopy or covering over the throne of God. Notice the Bible tells us here in verse 15 that he was perfect in the beginning. The Bible says he was full of wisdom. Perfect in beauty. There was no beautiful cre- creature or creation more great, more beautiful than, 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 than Lucifer here. And the Bible says, was, That was perfect in thy way and, uh, from the day that thou was created. He says, In all the ways. He had a perfect beginning. He had a position beginning. The Bible says, He was placed in Eden, the garden of God. This is the heavenly Eden, not the, not the earthly Eden. God placed him upon his holy mountain. This means he had a closeness to God and to the throne of God. We must understand this morning that Satan was a creator. Created being. Let's not forget that. He was a created being. Just like you and I are created beings. We were created to glorify God. We are created to please the Lord. God made you and I to for a purpose and a reason. Satan was a created being. But I want you to understand something else. He was also a comely being. He was a comely being. What that means by that was the Bible describes him as beautiful. I'm not going to read it again, but verse 13. Man, you talk about being, being, being decked out in, in, in jewels and decked out in gold. He was decked out. The Bible says he was so decked out in verse 13. It says the workmanship of the tablets and the pipes was prepared for him. God even made him perhaps the chief musician of heaven at that time. He was given some musical instruments. The Bible says he was anointed, the the anointed cherub that covered. I mean, we see his appearance. He was beautiful. God gave him the luster and the beauty of the precious stones. He glistened and lustered, if you would. Even his very name means the sun of the morning. And I just I'll spend some time talking about it in a little bit there. But he's called the sun of the morning or the morning star there. His very name, Lucifer, means the morning star, the star of the morning there. And then we notice his description. Go back to Isaiah, please. His description in, in Isaiah, he's called Lucifer. He was comely. God made no bones about the fact in the Word of God. He made Satan or Lucifer beautiful. The Bible says God has made all things beautiful in his time. You're beautiful. When we behold creation, creation is beautiful. God made everything beautiful. Satan was a created being. Satan was a comely being. But I want you to notice this morning, Satan was a contemptuous being. Because as we look at all this, you have to ask yourself the question, Here was a a being that was perfect. That means he was sinless, just like God, just like Adam and Eve before they fell. He was perfect. He was infinite, if you would, in the sense he had would have duration. He was pretty. He had prudence, but he was proud. He was proud. And we go to the scriptures and we notice in Isaiah 14, would you go back there in verses 13 to 14? Lucifer is described in his sin. He had aspiration. He had ambition. And his aspiration ambition was to overthrow God. In chapter 14, verses 13 to 14 of Isaiah, we see five I wills of Satan. Five I wills of Lucifer when he was in heaven, when he was in the Garden of Eden, when he had all the gifts of God. And I remind you today, his beauty was the gift of God. His wisdom was the gift of God. His musical ability was the gift of God. His luster, his very name was the gift of God. And may mind you this morning, you also, whatever you have, those are gifts from God. And he said, I will ascend into heaven. Notice this I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also in the mount of the congregation. In the sides of the north, I will send above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Lucifer had one problem that was his downfall. It was pride. It was his arrogance. It was his conceitedness. He was proud. and his pride, he wasn't content with what God had given to him. And the Bible says this, if you go back to Ezekiel 28, verse 15. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. Then it puts a comma after that. Till iniquity was found in thee. Satan's fall was because of pride. Satan's sin because of pride. And Satan uses pride to help cause you and I to sin against God. We see that in Ezekiel 28, verse 16, the multitude of the merchandise filled him with violence. We see in Isaiah chapter 14 that he said, I will be like the Most High. The Bible says in Ezekiel 28, 17, his heart was lifted up because of his beauty and his wisdom was corrupted because of his brightness. First John 3, 8, a very pivotal and very important verse reminds us that the devil sinned from the very beginning. He was contemptuous. He was pride, filled with pride. And he led a rebellion against God. We'll see that in a moment. He led other angels to follow him. Notice what he said in Isaiah. He said, I will exalt my throne. Anybody to has a throne, they want a following. Let me tell you, one of our symptoms of pride is we want a following. We're, we're, we're interested and we count the numbers. How many people are following me? That's pride. Who's listening to my voices? Who's buying my books? Who's buying my tapes? That's pride. Uh, who's, who's my audience? Who, am I, who, who's the, who are the people coming to see me? Who gets to see me on there? How many followers do I have on Facebook? That's pride. He said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and he said, I will be like the Most High. He wanted to overthrow God. Can you imagine for everything God gave to this created being, such discontentment, such unthankfulness, such a wretched heart, he was a created being in all his ways, till iniquity was found in him. Let me ask you a question this morning. What are you proud of? You think you're hot stuff? You think you're God's gift to mankind? Are you so proud that you think you're bigger than God? Do You think you're so smart that you can outwit the COVID-19 virus? And we can get so proud because of what we have. We must remind ourselves every gift we have is from God. He's the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Are you so proud that you think you're bigger than God, and you can be contemptuous of spiritual authority? My prayer, listen, Church. My prayer, when we can, when God gives us the privilege to reassemble again. And by the way, I hope you're thankful for Church. And by the way, I hope I hope you miss Church. You ought to send a message. And I do miss Church. I hope when God gives us the privilege to reassemble, that we'll come with humble hearts. And realizing we are nobody. And we are nothing. And like Second Chronicles 7 verse 13 and 14 tells us. If we want to see God heal this land. We must confess our sins and be humble before God. Are you in contempt of God? Is that an unconfessed sin in your life? I'm saying this morning. We see his description. Number two. Would you notice this? Real quickly. We see his description. We see his downfall. Go back to Isaiah 14, please. Because the the sedge way into introducing Lucifer to us was God's judgment upon the king of Babylon. Not just the literal, physical king, who in that case was Belshazzar. But he's talking about the spiritual king called Satan or Lucifer. He fought with God, and he lost. And may I remind you this morning, if you fight with God, you're going to lose. Amen. Nobody who fights with God wins. Notice his downfall. In verse 12 of Isaiah 14, we see his rejection. God rejected his pride. God rejected his attempt to overthrow the Almighty. And the Bible says... How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which disweakened the nations? Ezekiel 28, verse 16 says, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. Ezekiel twenty-eight seventeen, I will cast thee to the ground. Turn in your Bibles with me, please. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12 gives us a glimpse of what happened there in heaven on that time when Satan tried to lead a revolt and how God cast him down. Revelation 12 tells us exactly of the casting down and of the rejection of Satan right there in heaven. Revelation 12, verse 7. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and he prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth, notice the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. God took Satan and those rebellious angels, which we now call demons of the spirit world, and he cast them out. And the summation of all that, You go to 1 John 5, I believe verse 17 or 18. Satan is called that wicked one. And we read in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 that Satan immediately created these hierarchies of evil because I want you to understand something. Satan is not God, praise God. And Satan has his limitations. And Satan does not know everything. And Satan cannot be everywhere. And Satan cannot do everything. Praise God, only God can do everything. And we see here that because, he, because of his limitation, he created these hierarchies of evil called principalities, powers, rulers of darkness in this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. God took all of them and cut them to the ground and cast them out of heaven. And his pride resulted in his rejection and a terrible fall. But in his downfall, God was not finished with him, and He's not finished with us. We see a rejection, but we see something else about Satan, because where is Satan right now? And we, say to, we see Satan or Lucifer's rule. We see his rule. Where is he right now? His name no longer was Lucifer. It was changed to Satan, the devil, the old serpent, the great dragon, the tempter. The roaring lion. He's called your adversary. God did not destroy him at that time. God cast him out. Earth, your world and my world. This is his rule. This is his domain. The Bible says, tells us in Ephesians 2.2, that he is the prince of the power of the air. The spirit of the that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Did you hear that or did you read that? He's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. One of the questions we asked at the beginning, why is all this happening? Who's inspiring these people to do the things they're doing? The one who has the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Second Corinthians four. He's the God of this world. Who even right now is blinding the minds of them that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel should appear unto them. Satan is a spirit being. And as a spirit being, he's the rule and the God of this world. And he's busy and active and working through how many, God only knows, perhaps maybe billions of demons that are working right now as part of his chain. As part of his hierarchy. We see his rejection. We see his rule. We see his ruse. What's he doing? Revelation 12:9 makes it very clear, if you remember what we read? His goal is to deceive the whole world." <coughs> Isaiah 14:12: "His goal is to weaken the nations. When God allowed Satan to unleash his fury on God's servant Job, Job was afflicted with a terrible disease of his body. And I believe this morning, and you can call me whacked out if you want, but I believe this morning, God using this COVID-19 pestilence through Satan that's confounding the medical community and government officials and people scientifically more smarter than you and me to put them at their wits' end, to help them understand, we're dealing with more than just a disease. We're dealing with the prince of the power of the air, the now worker than the children of disobedience. And in his ruse, he's doing things to weaken the nations and to deceive the whole world. In 1 Peter 5.8, the Bible describes it very colorfully. He walks about as a roaring lion. Lions roar to announce their presence. They roar, they roar to let prey out their no Vulnerable prey, they're hungry. He walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Listen, Satan is looking for the weak. Satan's looking for the newborn. Satan is looking for the young. Satan's looking for the one who's walking astray without, without being around anybody. If you ever watch uh, documentaries about lions, they're studying the flock. They're studying the herds. But they're looking for the one that strays off. They're looking for the helpless one, the one that cannot run so fast, the one that has not, has not be, be, really become aware of the fact how strong a lion is, the weak and disabled. Listen this morning. If you are not walking with God, if you are weak, and you're weak if you're not praying. You're weak if you're not reading your Bible. If you're not walking with God, Satan's coming for you. John 8, 44 makes clear he's a liar. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he's the father of all lies. First John 5, 19 tells us the whole world lieth in wickedness, and he's behind all of that wickedness. Revelation 2.13 tells us he makes his throne, his seat, the seat of Satan. He makes his throne through false religions and false churches. Revelation 2.24 tells us, speaks to us about the depths of Satan. Listen, the depths of Satan, he wants to take every sinner farther than you'd ever want to go. Let me encourage you this morning, if you're battling with temptation... You're battling with an unconfessed sin that you don't have victory over. Listen, Satan's goal is to take you down the depths where you never desired to be there, be before. I encourage you this morning to confess your sin, confess and forsake your sin before God. But notice as we see his rejection, his rule, and his ruse, Satan's bent out for ruin. He's bent and in intent on his agenda for our ruin. John 8, tells us he was the murderer from the beginning. Hebrews 2, 14 tells us the devil has the power of death. He wants you and me to eat the forbidden fruit of the tree. He wants to fill your heart and my heart to lie to the Holy Ghost like he did to Ananias. He wants to enter into some unsaved person right now as he did with Judas Iscariot. Listen, Judas Iscariot was as close to Jesus Christ as anybody could be. And yet, Judas Iscariot wasn't saved. You could be somebody who's a church attendee. You could be somebody who says, my name is on a church roll. And you can see somebody that says, I've been baptized. I'm going to tell you this morning, you need to be born again. You need to get saved. Because you are susceptible and open to Satan entering into you just as much as he did to Judas Iscariot. What's his grand scheme? You say, preacher, what is the grand scheme in the agenda of Lucifer, Satan? And if you're watching right now, would you listen to me? His grand scheme right now is that you die without your sins forgiven without you being saved, so that you could spend all of eternity burning in hell. That's his grand scheme. His grand scheme is for every unsaved person to stay unsaved. His grand scheme is for every person who's heard the gospel but has yet to repent of their sins and call on the name Lord to save them, to stay in that same condition. His grand scheme for those who are saved is that you don't live for God and that you believe the lie, the hyper-grace lie, the antinomianism lie that we preached about last Sunday night, that just because you're saved, you can go and live like you want to live because you've been forgiven anyway. Don't buy that. That's a lie of the devil. He's weakening the nations right now through COVID-19. Moving his strategy along that sets the stage, that sets the stage for panic, confusion, shortages, currency failing, economies failing, dependence upon the government rejection of God. You look out there, you read your news. Every facet of this world has been touched and affected by COVID-19. And people scoff at the idea of a real, literal devil. And I want to declare to you this morning, he is real. His process is deceit, leading to disobedience, and ultimately to death without Christ. We see his downfall. We see his description. But as I close this morning, I have some good news for you. Aren't you glad about that today? Amen. I have some good news for you. His description, yeah, it does scare us. And his downfalls. We understand his agenda through his downfall. It scares us. But I want you to understand this morning, he's defeated. Amen. He's defeated. He's a defeated foe. And we see his description here. Yes, he is, he's got all these things. But Satan is defeated. Number one, he's defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. Hebrews two nineteen, two nine and 4, verse four fourteen. Hebrews two nine and verse fourteen. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Then we go down to verse fourteen. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, speaking about Jesus Christ, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He became like us, yet without sin, that through death, listen to this, that he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Brother and sister in Christ, someone listening out there on live stream who's not saved, I've got some good news. Satan was defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. He was defeated at the cross when Jesus suffered there and shed his blood, and the nails pierced his hands and, the, and his feet, and the spear was thrust in his side. I want to tell you this morning when our Savior cried out, It is finished! The sin debt had been paid for in full. And when Jesus rose from the dead three days later, he said to Satan, You are a defeated foe. He was defeated at the cross. He was defeated at the cross. Listen, Jesus through his death, overcame him who has the power of death. Listen to First John 3, 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For, the pur- for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might Destroy the works of the devil. I remind you today, Jesus destroyed the devil's work. They're trying to hold you and I captive here when he died on the cross for your sins. Listen to me this morning. If you're not saved, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus loves you. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Praise God this morning, you can be saved. Praise God this morning, you can escape the power of Satan. Praise God this morning, you can be born again. Praise God this morning, you don't have to be a disciple of Satan. You can become a child of God this morning by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Hey, listen, it's good news this morning. Satan was defeated at the cross, but listen, secondly, listen, not only was he defeated at the cross, Satan was defeated at our conversion. When you got saved, he became a defeated foe, and if you're not saved now, he can be defeated at your conversion this morning. First John four four, you're of God, little children. How many are glad this morning, way out there watching by Elijah? How many are you glad this morning you're of God, amen? You're of God, little children. The moment you got saved, you became the possession of God. You became a son of God. You became a citizen of heaven. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. Listen, you are of God, little children, because greater, and because greater is he and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He that is in the world is Satan, but he that is in us is Jesus Christ. I rejoice and shout hallelujah this morning. Praise God because Jesus is in me and greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. 1 John 5, 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world. Hey, if he's wickedest in the world, he's the God of this world, guess what? Your faith in Jesus Christ, being born again of God, if you're born of God, you overcame the world, and you overcame the God of this world through your conversion. First John five eighteen we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God when you get saved. That invisible seal, that marker of God, tells the devil, that's my child, that's my son, that's my daughter. You can't touch them. You can't have them. They're mine. That Holy Spirit seal is on you and I the moment we get saved. Praise God this morning. He was defeated at the cross. He was defeated at our conversion. And he's defeated at the close of time. He's defeated at the conclusion of all things. Look at your scriptures this morning. We're done. Isaiah fourteen fifteen. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. As we get to the end of the day of the Lord, he will be cast down into the lake of fire. Ezekiel 28, 16, God said, I will destroy thee, O covering cherub. Ezekiel 28, 17, I will lay thee before kings that they may see thee. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Our last verse we'll read. Verse 10. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them, that's all he's been doing since he got cast out of heaven has been deceiving, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. He's a defeated foe. He's a defeated foe. You weren't saved and then got victory. You were saved in victory. There's victory through the cross of Jesus Christ. I said earlier that his name, Lucifer, that was given to him meant the star of the morning. And he wants you to believe that he's the morning star. Now, he might have been called the star of the morning, but there's only one bright. Morning star, and that's Jesus Christ. There's only one bright morning star. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lucifer is the God of this world, but Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the day star who arises in our hearts. Lucifer was made and called the son of the morning, but he's not greater than the precious, sinless son of God who died for your sins and mine. Friend, this morning, the world that we live in is upside down in turmoil. There's an agenda behind that, and it's a spiritual agenda. I want to understand this morning, God's people can rejoice. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you have overcome them, little children because Christ is in you. Servant of God, child of God, would you get on your knees and plead the blood of Christ over you, and your family, this church, the work of God? Would you realize that a, church, that a Christian on his knees is stronger than Satan, more powerful than Satan? He fears our prayers. If in the next few minutes, if hundreds of us got on our knees and prayed before God, can you imagine what God would do? Christian friend, if you're living in defeat and in sin and in fear, come to Christ this morning. Put your faith and trust in him. Don't look at the sun of the morning. Look at the bright and morning star. Don't look at that sun of the morning. Look at the son of God. Get your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face.